Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we'll be covering a few results from Premier League Game Week 3, the MLS Rivalry Week, including El Trafico, and then covering the transfers from Deadline Day. We'll jump right in, starting with game week three of the Premier League going into the international break, which we are now currently in. Um, as we record this, some of the World Cup qualifiers went on earlier today, but we'll start with the Premier League. We'll start, Justin, with your club, where City battered Arsenal by a score of five goals to nil at the Etihad. What were your main takeaways from the game? Yeah, um, my main takeaways were City dominated. Um, the the players that really stood out to me were the front three. I mean, not just because it was 5-0, but Jesus has been fantastic in the past two games, obviously 10-0 aggregate. Um, but uh, Ferran, who, who didn't look great last game against Norwich, did look very good, scoring two poaching goals, one with the head, uh, one just a, a reaction off terrible Arsenal defending, which is exactly what City has been lacking, is that, is that poaching uh, number nine. So that is a good sign, as well as Grealish uh, on the third goal, I believe it was, um, he really created it for Jesus. It was a, a tap-in that you or I could have scored, um, but, but it was really the first goal um, in Sky Blue that Jack Grealish has created all by himself, so that was great to see him you know, sliding into the team like that. Obviously, it didn't help that Jaco was sent off in the 35th minute um, going two-footed, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Arsenal obviously did not look great. They only had one shot the entire game, which was uh, in the fifth minute from Bakayo Saka. Um, and after the fifth minute was just pure domination. So what did you think? Yeah, um, I mean, Ferran Torres, it's, it seems like he's probably going to be City's best bet um, at, at the striker position. Obviously, they'll rotate a bit with when De Bruyne comes back. You know, Pep was playing a false nine like that a lot. But in terms of who in your squad actually has the movement most like a striker, who I guess you could say has kind of the finishing instinct most like a striker, I agree. I don't think it's Jesus. He's been playing on the wing, and you're right, he's been sensational. It, it, like four assists in the past two games or something like that. Um, and after the match, Guardiola likened Ferran Torres' movements in the box to Jamie Vardy, which is obviously high praise, and Ferran is not at that level as a striker, but he does kind of have, have that knack, and you can see that, you know, in, it's obviously not ideal. He's not a striker, you know, naturally, but I, I think he'll probably be City's best bet going forward for the rest of the season at striker. And, yeah, in terms of Arsenal – it's just, what can you say? They couldn't have asked for a worse start to the season. Um, luckily for them, they have Norwich after the international break. That should be an opportunity for them to bounce back. But when you look at the amount of money they've spent, you look at the fact that they're bottom of the league with a negative nine goal difference with zero goals scored. It's just not good enough. And, and I think Arteta really, really should be in the hot seat if he wasn't already. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that these first three games – you know, I don't think we should take too much from it from Arsenal because uh, the Brentford game is the only real, you know, lower lower team that they lost to. And that was Brentford's first game back in the Prem, first game with a full stadium of fans at their new stadium. And then, you know, Arsenal lost to Chelsea and lost to Man City. Granted, they got dominated in both of those games, but nobody expected them to win either of the games. So I think the next three, um, including the North London Derby against Spurs, um, will you know, give us a lot more about how Arsenal are and whether Arteta should be sacked at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's just Justin, they have seven shots on target in their first three games. That's extremely poor. And yes, they've played Chelsea, they've played City, two title favorites. But at the same time, it's not just that they've lost, it's how they've lost. So although I agree, yes, we have to take it with a grain of salt. I wouldn't say I wouldn't, you know, kind of peg this as a way to judge Arsenal because I still think their performances at least you know the results I think they were bound to lose those two the writing was on the wall for Brentford to win that game you know their first game back in the top flight in 75 years etc cetera, etc cetera. but the way that Arsenal have performed and the way that they've lost I think is what should really be concerning for Gunners fans um, yeah we'll move on to the next game from that day from Saturday 
um, that we're going to talk about, which is my club, Everton, defeating Brighton 2-0 on the South Coast. Um, I was really happy with the way the team performed, um, following on with kind of the way we've been playing under Benitez, which is just some hard yards, like really grafting, um, letting teams possess the ball, especially Brighton, you know, who we know are a very expansive side in the way that they like to play under Graham Potter. But they often have a problem with the final ball, with the cutting edge, with, um, you know, even just finishing in general. But we sat off them. We let them possess the ball. As soon as they came into our half, we pressed them. Alan and Townsend and Ducore were all fantastic defensively. And then, you know, we've talked about Damari Gray, but he, he just looks so impressive, so dangerous every time he has the ball down that left wing. I, I don't know who's going to be able to keep up with him because um, there's not going to be many defenders in the league that will. Um, and so he looks like a brilliant piece of business. Obviously, Calvert-Lewin on the score sheet again. Um, so, you know, so far, so good under Rafa Benitez. I think we've deserved to win all three games. Obviously, we only picked up a point at Ellen Road, but that's okay. We'll iron out the kinks. But overall, I think considering Rafa only got 1.7 million pounds to spend in this transfer window, you could not ask for a much better start under the Spaniard. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean – I don't know if I can cover it much better than that, but I, I mean, Everton fans should obviously be very excited as I, as I know you're, you're happy. Um, not that, not that they're necessarily happy with the transfer window, but happy with the start and, and the way that they're playing, especially uh, Damari Gray, who's looking an absolute bargain. Um, and on that note, uh, Thomas Rodriguez, I invite you all to check out grand old team and Garrett's uh, new article about Thomas Rodriguez and how he would fit into the new system that Garrett was just describing. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, there were reports today from Paul Joyce that Everton still might be trying to loan him out to Portugal or Turkey because I think those are the two places where um, the transfer window is still open. But I, I honestly don't see it happening just because those are, you know, leagues that I don't think clubs are going to be eager to dish out the wages that Hamas is on at the moment. So I hopefully – in, in my opinion, I really hope that Rafa finds a way to use him. I don't think he's going to come like straight into the starting 11. I, I don't think he's going to start most games just because he doesn't fit into the way that the team is playing. As I just said, hard yards, grafting, high pressure as soon as the ball enters our half. And I think everybody knows that's not the way that Ahmez operates. So we'll see. But hopefully he can be an asset and not a liability. Um, but yeah. Absolutely. And with that, we can move on to the big game of the weekend, which was Liverpool against Chelsea, ending 1-1. Um, uh, uh, Kai Havertz goal in the 22nd minute, Mohamed Salah with a penalty off of the uh, Reese James handball red card um, to end the half, which uh, I think we will both agree, and, and Tuchel agreed after the game, that you know it really ruined the flow of the game uh, because the first half was an absolute showstopper exciting game to watch back and forth and the second half probably would have been much of the same uh, if not for Chelsea having to sit back um, with 10 men however what it says about Chelsea is it shows why they're title contenders because sitting back with 10 men and just being able to essentially shut down Liverpool was a very very impressive and is something that title contenders need to, to just be able to shut the door and not concede um, and so to be able to do with 10 men means doing it with 11 will be all that much easier. What were your impressions from the game, Garrett? Yeah, I totally agree. I think Chelsea obviously were incredibly impressive defensively. Um, I think that had they kept all 11 men on the pitch, you know, maybe say that Reese James handball is given as a yellow instead of a red. I think Chelsea have a really good chance of going on and winning that game. Um, they look dangerous on the counter, but you know, and people will say, oh, Liverpool were more dominant, et cetera, et cetera, even in the first half. But I, it was always Chelsea's strategy to let them have more of the ball. They did the exact same thing in the Champions League final, as you know very well. Sorry to bring up that uh, sore subject. But um, Chelsea are dangerous on the counter, and their defensive shape is second to none in the league, in my opinion. Especially when you look at the fact that like their center-back personnel is not fantastic. But after Tuchel came in, they had the best defense in the league last season. I don't think that's changing. I think them not getting Jules Kunde in this window is a little bit of a blow. I think had they added that, they'd be in such an incredible position defensively. But even with that being said, you know, Rudiger is really in the form of his career right now. Thiago Silva still looks solid. Um, Christensen has been good. So, yeah, I, I was impressed with Chelsea. 
Um, in terms of Liverpool, it's kind of the same old story a little bit. Obviously, they played well. They had decent control in midfield, but um, they just haven't been that amazing in the final third kind of for the past, you know, I'd say even 12 months or so. Um, so we'll see if they can pick that up, but not getting a striker in the window, which I know a lot of their fans were hoping for, um, isn't really going to help that as much, but they really need Sadio Mane to start getting back on the score sheet because, you know, he's been in a bit of a drought over the past 12 months or so. I'd say like last season, we all know he had a big downturn in form and uh, everyone was kind of relying on, on Sala to, to score their goals. So, I think both teams will take the point. Chelsea would probably be a bit happier than Liverpool will just because, you know, they were, everyone kind of thought Liverpool were destined to win as soon as Reese James was sent off. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good game. Unfortunately, yeah, the red card kind of ruined the flow and it would have been a, a, a barnstorming second half if it weren't for that. But still uh, good, entertaining football. Absolutely. And what we can move to Sunday um, when Tottenham Hotspur, who are now top of the Premier League table, the only team to take nine points from three games, beat Watford 1-0 on another Sung Hyung Min goal. Um, just another solid performance from Spurs, you know, looking, looking very good uh, to start the season with Nuno in charge. Um, I always thought that he was a good manager, and he, he's proving it now. Uh, he got a lot of uh, flack for, you know, being – they're the Spurs ninth choice or whatever. I honestly think he was uh, one or two um, with Conte as, as Levy's top choice. And he managed to hold on to Kane, of course. So, I, I mean, not that Spurs are going to stay up here, but it's, it's a good sign uh, for Spurs season. What are you thinking about that game? Um, I mean, defensively, defensively, they've looked a lot better under Nuno, but I think that kind of makes sense, especially compared to Ryan Mason. But Nuno, we know, is an organized manager and has built from the back with his teams. You know, Wolves were good defensively. Um, I think Spurs still lack a little bit going forward, but I think that's because Harry Kane hasn't quite hit his stride yet. Um, but just looking at, like, the XG, they only had just over one, and Watford had .7. So, um, I guess they deserve to get all three points, but they were a little bit fortunate. Obviously, the Sun goal was just a free kick that went all the way in. Um, I, I still think Daniel Bachman should have done better with that. But eight shots on target to two, 58% possession. Yeah, not bad for Spurs. And they got all three points, is what, which is what's most important. I feel like Spurs really needed to have this start under Nuno, especially with Kane coming back. The kind of feel-good atmosphere is back at, at uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And I'm sure Kane will start banging him in pretty soon. Obviously, he did so in the Europa Conference League. But um, if he, he can get those goals back in the Premier League and Hyungman Sung can keep this up, as well as I, I think Brian Hill's been pretty good from what I've seen of him so far. Um, I think, yeah, I think Spurs are in a decent position. Do I think they're going to be in the top four race? No. But I think they could easily finish top six if they can keep playing this way and keep being so solid at the back because I really think that's the foundation for them. We know that Kane and Son can score goals. It's really whether they can score more than they're conceding. And as of now, they obviously are. Speaking of that back line, it's, it's very interesting because I was intrigued to see, you know, the, the Doherty-Nuno reunion um, at, at Spurs. And he's Nuno has been choosing Jaffa Tanganga over uh, – Doherty at that right back position which is you know yeah I mean I think Doherty's really a right wing back and, and it was working yeah. like he was playing really well at Wolves because it was in a three back Nuno's not playing a three back at Spurs Doherty did not have a good season last year Tanganga has been defensively fantastic I think now it's gonna be really really interesting to see kind of the battle between Tanganga and now Emerson Royale who Spurs just brought in on deadline day kind of see if Royale can beat him out to that starting right back spot. I mean, I doubt that they would have spent uh, 30 million euros or whatever it was on Royale to then not play him because of Tanganga. They, they spent, they spent about that, if not more if, uh, on Doherty to not play him, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but that's, but he's had a very, he had a poor season. I just, I think Doherty is he their did. third choice yeah. right back at this, at this point. Yeah. Is, well, yeah, that's what I was, that's what was so interesting to me because they bought him never really play, planning to play him as a wing back. It was, it was always in a back four for the most part. And so, I mean, uh, under Jose and, and Jose, you know, tried him as a wing back occasionally, but yeah, we'll see. I, I think you're right though. It's, it's, it's just interesting to see that he's how far he's fallen. 
And um, actually, the fee the fee was only actually fifteen million pounds to Spurs, so it's not oh that really bad of a yeah well, no I, yeah, I it, it, yeah it wasn't that expensive no. Well, we um, can and then move we'll, on. And then we'll move on to the other game, yeah, um, which was United defeating uh, Nuno's old club, Wolverhampton Wanderers at Molyneux by a score of one goal to nil. Amazing Greenwood winner. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy regarding Pogba and Ruben Neves and this and that. But overall, um, I'll just say quickly before I let you talk about this, I, I was impressed by Rafael Varane. Obviously, Wolves created some good chances, but at the same time, I, I thought Varane did really well and, and looked impressive on his debut, on his full debut. Um, and, and I think he will end up being a, a very good signing for United, especially considering the fact that they only paid £40 million. When you compare that to Ben White, for 50 it, it it is a really good piece of business from united and also mason greenwood continues his good form what were your thoughts on the game i will say ben white and veron are slightly different ages so that might contribute to their price tags but yeah but veron's uh, a three times champions league winner and ben white's right one season in the prem i understand um but yeah i think that i mean i think that jose saw could obviously have done better with that uh, mason greenwood shot um and, and I think that if it wasn't, you know, Manchester United, we're calling that a smash and grab because, I mean, Wolves had more shots, more shots on goal, just more threatening in general. United were not that exciting, um, but they, Mason Greenwood, you know, rescued them um, to get uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's 100th win in charge of Manchester United, which honestly surprised me. It doesn't feel like he's been in charge that long to get 100 wins, but well done to him. Um, and yeah, I just... I think United are lucky to get out of there with a win. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I'm looking at the XG stats right now, and Wolves actually had two XG, like 2.01, and United were at 0.66. But this has kind of been a recurring problem for Wolves now. They've amassed 4.87 XG in their first three games. They have not scored a single goal. Adama Traore's finishing quite frankly, has been woeful so far this season. Raul hasn't hit the ground running, which I don't think we can expect him to considering how long he was out for. But still, Wolves need to start getting their finishing boots on and putting away chances, or they could be, you know, back where they were last season, even the beginning, because they kind of pulled it back at the end of last season, but they could find themselves in 15th, 14th again. So, um, they're really pulling a Brighton is what they're doing. So Wolves need to stop pulling a Brighton and then they'll be all right. Absolutely. They lost all three games, one to nil. Um, with that, we can move on from the Premier League to the MLS with the with uh, MLS Rivalry Week this past weekend, um, starting off with a rivalry in uh, Texas between FC Dallas and Austin FC. It was a fantastic game, five to three. Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, both recording braces. Um, it's... You know, that's, that's what we see from Austin. Whenever they play, they're, they're going to concede goals. Um, and in a derby match, it's all the more exciting. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, I think, is, is the one that people are focusing on because, obviously, 18-year-old, he just got his uh, USMNT call-up. So it's, it's a very exciting time uh, as far as Ricardo Pepe goes. But, um, you know, not that the game was that great for Dallas because they're not, they're not doing that well this season. Um, but a 5-3 Derby win, hopefully uh, Austin can uh, recover, but I, I see a lot of criticism from their fans. I've seen a lot on Twitter about um, basically criticism from their fans for, for playing the way that they play, and the, the, a lot of fans defending it, as well as Brad Stuver, their, um, their, their goalkeeper, defending the, the way that they play out from the back, even though it has led to some problems. What are your thoughts on the game, Garrett? Um, I mean, I think Austin are a little unlucky here, to be honest. Obviously, conceding five, you can't really say they're unlucky. But you look at the stats, both had seven shots on target. Austin had 63% of the possession. But Dallas were just clinical, and that's something that Austin, despite the fact that they scored three goals, they, they've just been kind of lacking. I feel like they've, they've played good football this year. They just haven't turned that into results. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this was kind of a Minnesota situation where within a couple of years, if Austin can start putting it together, if they can execute better – 
Um, I think they could turn into a pretty decent MLS team. But yeah, um, good win for Dallas, kind of keeping their playoff hopes alive, to be honest. Big three points for them. Um, and yeah, Pepe, obviously super exciting that, you know, he's chosen the U.S. Um, so yeah, let's now move on to um, one of the other big games in the week, which was Portland getting their revenge on Seattle. Um, obviously, about uh, two, three weeks ago, Seattle laid the hurt on the Timbers at Providence Park in Portland, beating them 6-2, some screamers from Jimmy Madronda and Rui Diaz and Freddie Montero. Um, but Portland came back and in Seattle took down the Sounders 2-0, goals from Sebastian Blanco, who scored on the field where he tore his ACL last season, and then Felipe Mora getting a, uh, an insurance goal in stoppage time. Justin, what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, um, it was a fantastic game to watch. Super entertaining. I will say uh, the, the scoreline's a bit flattering, obviously, obviously with Felipe Mora in the stoppage time, but also um, Seattle hit the hit the woodwork four or five times. Could have gone in. Steve Clark made a couple saves. He was um, goalkeeper of the week in, in the uh, MLS team of the week this season, this uh, past week. It was, you know, a little bit of luck, um, but, you know, a lot of fight from Portland to just dig in, um, and, and get their revenge, as you said. Um, they they really took responsibility after that loss in in Portland, which is which you could see on the field um, in Seattle. Yeah, it's a big win for them. Three points, which catapults them back up into the playoff spots in sixth place above Real Salt Lake, um, just on head to head. Actually, they're both on twenty seven points, but. Um, Man, the playoff race in the West is going to be insane because from 6th to 11th, the teams are separated by three points. You have Portland on 27, Real Salt Lake on 27, Vancouver and San Jose on 26, Dallas now on 25, and your LAFC on 24. And that will be our perfect segue into LAFC's game this week. Obviously, El Trafico against the Galaxy, one of the games of the season at the bank. Justin, you were there. How was it? Oh man, El Tráfico at the bank is is you know the best day of the year. It's it's so fun. Um, it's more fun when we can get a win. But this was a, a thriller, an absolute thriller. Three three, um, Chicho Arango scoring his first, Brian Rodriguez scoring his first of the season. So two two huge LAFC players getting on the score sheet. Um, Chicho drawing his own penalty, and of course Brian Rodriguez, his first goal was an absolute stunner goal of the week goal of the season candidate um, cutting in and out of three players, burying it into the roof of the net uh, past a Jonathan bond who had a look of terror on his face, his eyes as big as apples. Um, but, but it was, I, I was sitting in the North end um, in the 3252, uh, which is the supporter section of the bank of California stadium. So I was screaming my lungs out for 90 plus minutes, uh, cheering these guys on. When when uh, Brian scored that second, it was I, I was about 50 feet from it, and it was mind boggling to watch that goal. I mean, it just fell out to him, and you were thinking, "What's he going to do here?" And then he just started beating players back and forth. Um, it, the, I can't think of a better goal that I've seen live in my life um, than that one, but you still knew it wasn't over because it's a Derby game 2-1. It just didn't feel over so much time left. Galaxy got it back. And then Brian got his tap in for, uh, for three, two. That's when it felt, man, hopefully, hopefully this, this could be it. Hopefully we could get that win. It was our first time all season scoring three goals, which I had predicted um, because Galaxy's defense was just so poor. Um, Unfortunately, Galaxy, we're able to equalize in the 86th minute through Kevin Cabral uh, and snatch a 3-3 draw, which uh, they, their fans and their social media treated as a win, interestingly enough. But it was, yeah, an, an absolute thrilling game to be at. It's one I will never forget. That goal from Brian Rodriguez, I will never forget. Um, and, and just quickly on him, his mentality since he returned from loan uh, in second division of Spain with Almeria, has been sensational. His mentality was always his problem He before he left, and that's why it, LFC fans always had a problem with him. There was always this hostility. But it, to me, since he has come back, his mentality has, has been top-notch. 
Um, and that's what's uh, gotten him into form. He's now with the Uruguay national team. So hopefully he doesn't lose that form. Garrett, you were watching on TV. Um, how did you see it? Yeah, I mean, I honestly did not expect Brian Rodriguez to have the performance that he did. I've been a bit underwhelmed with the games that I've watched that he's played in. But um, I think especially now with Diego Rossi moving to Fenerbahce, which we'll talk about very shortly, I, I think Raito's really going to have to step up if LAFC want to get in the playoff spots, um, which currently they are not. So, um, yeah, big performance from him, but I think defensively disappointing. They had the game. They they – honestly didn't concede too many chances, but the ones that they did were high quality and Jovalich and Cabral punished LAFC for that. But I mean, obviously it was an electric game to watch. Fantastic atmosphere from both supporters groups. Um, some great goals, obviously Raito, Raito pick it a lot. Um, so yeah, it was a fantastic game, really entertaining. One of my favorites that I've watched. Um, but I think we both know that the Galaxy will be much happier with a point from this game than LAFC will because, you know, LAFC really needed this three points to kind of turn their season around. They didn't quite get it, but the next game um, is going to be huge for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it really is three points or nothing at this point for LAFC. It was in that game. Um, there was, there's pressure building around Bob Bradley. A lot of people said if we don't win that, that El Trafico game, he should be sacked. Um I, I am Bob out. I believe that he should have been sacked um, a while ago, actually. But um, just uh, on that on that game as well, I, I would be remiss not to mention Thomas Romero, who made an absolutely yeah. incredible world-class save, diving across his body, um, picking it out of the top left corner of his goal. So he is really a shining star at 20 years old for LAFC so far. Yeah, that was a great save from from the header. Um, and it will be interesting to see, you know, by our next episode, Bob could be gone because you have Sporting Kansas City on Friday, which uh, is going to be a very tough game for LAFC to get something out of. And, you know, who knows if you guys take a, a heavy loss, which I know you did against Sporting Kansas City earlier in the season, um, we might be talking about who LAFC's next manager is next season uh, or for the rest of the season, rather. But for your sake, I hope that doesn't happen. But let's talk about Rossi a bit. And that will be our segue kind of into the main topic of this episode, which is uh, transfer deadline day. Rossi moving to Fenerbahce. What are your thoughts on the move? Um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, um, obviously, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this move. Um, I mean, I'm very happy for Diego Rossi, first of all. He, he deserves a move out. He's been with LAFC since 19 years old, coming from Uruguay, in, um, uh, Peñarol uh, in, in Uruguay. Um, and, and he's been, you know, a great servant, winning the MLS Golden Boot when Vela was out during the pandemic. Um, and, and just, you know, being a fan favorite, wearing that number nine uh, and proud to do it. Um, which he will be continuing to wear at Fenerbahce. He's given the uh, number nine um, there. So on that aspect, I'm very excited. Um, losing him, of course, is, is unfortunate. Um, you don't want to lose your best player at the moment um, in Diego Rossi. And losing him for the price that we're uh, reportedly losing him for is, um, is, is bittersweet because – to what I'm hearing is about a $6 million transfer fee um, with this is, this is a loan, first of all, for the, but, but it's with an option to buy that is not, not an obligation, but it is assumed to go through um, after the loan expires. So that, that fee is thought to be around $6 million and could go up to $10 million with incentives and add-ons um, that, that Rossi could hit throughout his time at Fenerbahce. Um, and that is without a sell-on clause from what I'm hearing. So there, there could be a sell-on clause on top of that. If he hits all those and we can get up to 10 million, that's not, that's not bad. Um, but, but if it's going to be closer to six, that's not great in my opinion. But yeah, I wish Rossi all the best of luck. I know LAFC fans already buying Fenerbahce number nine kits uh, with him on the back. Yeah, and that, that link up with Meza Ozil should be interesting to watch. I might have to tune into a couple of Fenerbahce games now. But we'll move on to probably the biggest uh, story of the last about week or so. I'm not going to say biggest transfer of the window because obviously the GOAT went to Paris. But uh, <laughs> one of the other GOATs or one of the other, you know, yeah, one of the other GOATs uh, returning to his 
boyhood club, essentially. Cristiano Ronaldo back to Manchester United. Uh, Going to be just insane to see him back in the Prem. I am actually very excited, um, and we'll see how it impacts United, but it could potentially propel them back into title contention, which I think both of us agreed they weren't particularly in before that. Um, but a fantastic window for them. Veron, Sancho, now Cristiano Ronaldo just casually back in the squad. Um, Justin, we discussed this a little bit, but how many goals do you think, how many Premier League goals do you think Cristiano Ronaldo is going to score this season for Manchester United? You know, I think that he's going to score a good amount um, because I think that, you know, Ole will put him, you know, just in that number nine position and have Bruno and Pogba feeding him balls, just crossing them. And Sancho. Uh, and Sancho as well, but I mean, those, are, those are the two creative midfielders. Sancho's a winger. Um, but, yes, he will be playing crosses from that wing, absolutely. Uh, and just, you know, putting them on Ronaldo's head. And so I think that he will, plus I believe that he will take uh, penalties off of Bruno Fernandes, even though he um, missed a penalty today for Portugal. I think I'm going to go high. I'm going to go 25. That's a very solid amount, um, but looking at his previous record, I, I wouldn't put it past him. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit more conservative and say 22, uh, just because I, I think he'll get some rests. He won't be, he won't, he's not going to play all 35 remaining Premier League games, especially considering you have Mason Greenwood, you have Marcus Rashford, who will come back from injury in uh, a month or two, I guess. And then, of course, you have Edison Cavani. Um, so I, I think he'll Martial still score as a well. lot of goals. Yeah, okay. Well, Martial is kind of out of the picture at this point, I think, in everyone's opinion. I know United fans wanted him, wanted them to sell him on deadline day, but no suitors that quickly. I would be surprised if he doesn't leave by next summer. Um, also, I think a, kind of an interesting story is regarding Cristiano Ronaldo uh, regaining the number seven, potentially, despite the fact that usually that's against Premier League rules. There's been some confusion about whether there's special dispensation needed from the Premier League. My understanding is that Edinson Cavani has literally played two games with the number seven on his back. I think the Premier League, United have to ask Premier League, the Premier League for special permission to allow Cavani to then take the number 21 kit which has just been vacated by Dan James with his move to Leeds, which we'll talk about soon. Um, and then Ronaldo moving into the seven. I kind of hope it happens just because, you know, the romantic in me wants to see Ronaldo back in that number seven playing for United. Uh, so, yeah. But with that, let's talk about Dan James, who just moved. Um, I My initial reaction was that it's, it's an overspend. Um, 25 million pounds is about the number uh, that, that we've seen. Um, obviously, this happened off the back of his sensational move, breaking down two leads back in 2019, covered all too well on the Leeds documentary series. What are your thoughts on Dan James to Leeds? Yeah, I know you think it's a, an overspend, and I can't really disagree with you, um, but I get that they've, they've been after him for a while, so I think that they're just, you know, spending that extra, you know, five or five million pounds, 10 million pounds, maybe, um, just to, to get him in finally, um, because... I think Bielsa has been a huge fan and has wanted him for so long that it's, I think he's going to fit incredibly well in that system. Obviously his pace um, in Bielsa's system will be an absolute terror to, to try and defend. But yeah, I mean, he's just going to be very direct um, like, like leads are. And I think it'll, I think it'll be very effective in his system. Um, I think that Jim James will play well, well enough to warrant that price tag. I don't know. We'll see. But um but I think very likely he could. So I don't think that it's going to, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think the only way that he does warrant that price tag is if he can add a lot more goals to his game, because the fact of the matter is that he's kind of one of those pacey wingers where, yeah, he can beat pretty much any fullback there is in the league, but his final ball, his finishing, it's just not up to scratch in my opinion. Obviously he could prove me wrong, hit the ground running at Leeds. We'll see. But personally, I, I, like, yes, I agree. It's a good personal signing in terms of fitting into the system and having the qualities that Bielsa wants. But at the same time, is it, is it 25 million pounds worth of ability? Not sure. He, he's just a lot of pace to me. I think if he can add that quality in the final third, which I'm doubting right now, but if he can, it could end up being a very, very good signing for Leeds. Um, 
So, yeah, and, and it makes sense from United's perspective. I think it makes a lot of sense because he's just not going to get that much game time, with, especially when Rashford comes back, as I already said, and with Sancho Greenwood, who can both play on the right. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Dan James would be finding himself in the squad much longer. So I think it's, it's a good move for, for both parties, despite the fact that it's probably better for United, in my opinion, because they got more money than, say, I would be okay with Everton spending on Dan James. Yeah, I, I think – well, I think it's. I think Leeds should be spending more because of the the system he fits in. But I think you know Leeds obviously they just try to create a lot of chances. I I think Dan James can do that. Another transfer related to Ronaldo um, is his replacement at Juve, coming from your team, Everton. Moise Keane. Um, he the the fee. Um, you can you can inform us on because I always get that fee wrong. But um, but yeah. I think it's, you know, not, not necessarily the highest quality replacement that they could have gotten. More of a younger guy that's – I mean, he did play very well for Juve on loan um, last year, but uh, – PSG. I, sorry, yeah, PSG. Um, he, he played well. But um, – because he came from Juve originally to Everton. Um, but, but, yeah, I don't know if, if it's going to be a good enough replacement for Ronaldo to, to keep them as, you know – title favorites. I don't know if that, I don't know if that can be said about Juve anymore. Now that they lost Ronaldo, they didn't win it last year. It's, we're going to see, I mean, they, they held on to McKenney who um, U.S. fans are a huge fan of, but is, is it going to be enough to win them Serie A? I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to say no. I mean, Moise Keane played well at PSG last season on loan, but still only scored 13 goals and they've just lost a striker who scored 29 and then 24, I believe the year before that in Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and when the Ronaldo move, you know, as soon as we kind of found out that Ronaldo had requested to leave Juve, we, the rumors were saying they were going to bring in a young striker and an experienced striker, that young striker being Moise Keane and an experienced striker, you know, the likes of Icardi was rumored. They didn't end up getting that done, which means that um, Moise Keane is going to be relied upon too heavily, in my opinion, um, for Juve. I, I don't think they're going to win titles. In terms of Everton's perspective of this deal, I actually think Marcel Brands did really well here. We paid 25 million pounds for him in 2019, um, back when he was still 19 years old. Um, and the fact that he's still only 21. So obviously he has a lot of potential, but basically how the deal is working, it's a two-year loan. The, uh, for those two years, it's a 7 million euro loan fee. Then there's an obligation to buy should certain conditions be met. From my understanding, those conditions are, are probably going to be met, most likely. Um, at least that's Everton's perspective. Um, and that would be a 28 million euro obligation to buy on top of that. So that's 35 total Plus there's 3 million euros in bonuses. So that's 38 million euros, which is about 35 million pounds. If we can turn a 10 million pound profit on Moise Keane, I would be over the moon with that. Obviously we won't get the money for, for two years, but um, it, that could really help us down the, down the line, especially next summer with the loan fee and whatnot and amortization. And, you know, I, I think Marcel Brands did a really good job of getting him out and not taking a loss, which is what I was expecting. I was expecting us to lose money on Moise Keane. But the fact that, yes, the loan, not selling him permanently immediately isn't ideal. But the fact that we, you know, most likely will make a profit, that kind of makes it for me. I'm like, okay, that's successful. And then we bring in Solomon Rondon, who is one of the other names we were going to talk about. Might as well get it out of the way now. As our Moise Keane replacement, basically, as backup to DCL. Um, which I think makes a lot of sense. He's much more in the same mold as DCL as, uh, or compared to Moise Keane. Um, you know, target man can score headers. Our team is really built around service at the moment with Townsend and Damari Gray whipping and crosses and whatnot. So I'm fine with that deal. Obviously disappointing for us to, you know, literally spend less than 2 million pounds, the least of any Premier League club this window by a long shot. I think second, uh, least amount was Watford with 16 million, which is still, that's a big difference. Um, but I'm happy with the run on signing. I'm happy with Moise Keane going. Um, so yeah, I think it's not going to be enough for Juve. I honestly think Everton got the better side of that deal compared to Juve. And yeah, I would not have them down as my favorites uh, to win Serie A unless Chiesa turns into Lionel Messi overnight. It's <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll just on the Rondon, I mean, it, it makes complete sense, you know, just following Benitez as he yeah. continues to do from club to club. Um, and there's been a lot of, uh, 
you know, Everton links with players on the move. Uh, quickly, just your thoughts on Vlasic and Lookman, both former Everton players on the move. Yeah, I, I think Vlasic is a really good signing for West Ham, to be honest. $25 million, okay, maybe that's a little bit pricey, but I think he could end up being a really good player for them for quite a few years. Um, when he was at Everton, that was during the 2017-18 season. Uh, he, we played against his club, Hajduk Split, from Croatia in the Europa League. He impressed us so much that Ronald Koeman went and signed him the next week. Um, and then he really didn't get much playing time. Kuman got sacked. We switched to Allardyce. Vlasic is not an Allardyce-type player. Um, and so then we ended up loaning him to CSKA Moscow, who then bought him the next season. But he's a, he's a really diminutive winger or center-attacking mid, which is obviously the position that they were looking to fill because they were unable to re-sign Lingard. Um, I, I think he's an exciting player. Still young, only 23, I believe. It's, it's a good signing for West Ham. In terms of Adam Lookman, obviously he was Fulham's best player, you'd say, last season. In terms of the metrics, his, his creating chances and um, even – you know, it's not like Fulham had many great finishers in their team, but I'd say Lookman was the best of the lot. Um, and then also just the fact that he can, he can beat a man. He's really good on the ball. Um, I, I think that it will be a, a decent depth signing for Leicester. It's only a loan that I thought there was an option to buy. There actually isn't. So kind of an interesting move, but um, I think he could have an impact potentially off the bench for Leicester. I don't see him starting. So, yeah. Um, now let's move on to one of the biggest deals of deadline day, which is Eduardo Camavinga going from Rennes to Madrid for, I believe it was 31 million euros. Um, fantastic signing for Real Madrid. One of the best up and coming midfielders in the world. One of the best talents of his generation. Just an immediate reaction to Camavinga signing for Madrid. Uh, my immediate reaction was shock, actually. Um, I thought that there was no way PSG let this guy slip out of their hands. I mean, he wanted to be in France. He wanted to be with PSG. Um, PSG wanted him badly, but they didn't do it. And I think that this is, I mean, really best case for Madrid, snatching Camavingo away and not getting um, – um, because I don't see the point of wasting 200 million uh, euros on Mbappe, um, which I still don't understand how PSG rejected. but. Yeah, I think that it's a, it's a sensational signing for Real Madrid. And if they can get um, Mbappe next summer, if they can get him a pre-contract in January, that is, I mean, best case for them, which leaves them to go after Holland next summer with the money that they didn't spend. Um, on Mbappe, it would cost less than half of that amount of money. Yeah, I agree. I think it's crazy that... Firstly, Madrid offered 200 million euros for Mbappe, who has denied three contract extensions from PSG, and uh, obviously his deal expires next summer. So Madrid are crazy for offering that kind of money for a player they can get for free in 12 months, especially when he's only 22. It's not like they're going to miss one of his best years. Um, and then PSG are even crazier for, for rejecting that. But, I mean, to be fair... They want to win the Champions League this season. Having Neymar, Mbappe, and Messi is going to be the best way for them to do that. So I kind of understand it, especially that you know money is not that much of an object to PSG, as we've learned this summer. But yeah, in terms of just Kamavinga before we move <laughs> on, fantastic signing for them. And uh, if they can have Kamavinga and um, Valverde, who they have as a fantastic young midfielder, and Mbappe, that's a great core that they can kind of start to rebuild as stars like Modric and Cruz and Benzema are starting to age out now. Um, I, I think it's a yeah, obviously fantastic signing for Madrid and you know a very good price tag for a player of that ability. Um, so talking about PSG, let's talk about Nuno Minge, as people like to call him, or Nuno Mendes to, I guess, English speakers, um, the young Portuguese left back from, por uh, from Sporting, rather, who has moved to PSG on deadline day for, I believe it was 40 million euros. Um, I think it's another fantastic signing for PSG. I didn't think their window could get much better, but that was kind of the one hole in their team. Not that Wamper not's horrible, but you know, not the same level as you look around the talent and the rest of their squad. So I think it was a great deal for PSG. What were your thoughts? Yeah. 40 million for the transfer plus a $7 million loan fee for this uh, year or 7 million euros. Excuse me. Um, but uh, with signing a 19-year-old on a five-year contract um, next year is, I mean, just fantastic for the future of, of PSG. Um, I mean, what can you really say? City have been after this guy for a while. I can tell you City fans were very, very upset that um, the City board decided not to spend 40 million euros 
on Nunez so that he wouldn't come to City. I mean, it's it's obviously been a, a contentious debate um, within City about not getting into bidding wars, but PSG snatched this one, um, and it looks like he will be great for them for many years to come. Sorry, it's even more uh, young talent in, in PSG's squad. Um, great signing. Uh, let's go to Spain where we had some movement at Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. We'll start with Antoine Griezmann returning to Atletico Madrid from Barcelona for like a third of what Barcelona ended up paying for him. I think it's a great move for Atletico Madrid. Uh, Barcelona's window has just been an absolute shambles. They are going to be relying so heavily on Memphis Depay this year. It's going to be insane. Um, and today we got the news that they gave the number 10 to Ansu Fati. But I think this move, the fact they paid 120 million euros for Griezmann, two years later they sell him back to the club they bought him from for a third of the price. It just is a perfect summary of how horribly run Barcelona have been over the past five years or so. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, it just shows – the ruins that, that Barcelona are in um, just doing anything to get uh, Griezmann's wages off of their bill, um, which, which they managed to do. Um, yeah. And on that note, you just got to applaud the Barca players that I believe there are three of uh, them that have taken wage cuts to register players like Sergio Aguero and Memphis Depay this summer. Um, but yeah, as far as for Atletico, I mean, fantastic for them. I don't see how they're not, um, La Liga favorites with him in their squad. Um, so after, especially after winning last year, I think it's fantastic for them. Um, I think, you know, Atletico fans obviously have had some contentious relationship with him at when he uh, requested to leave, but I think they'll accept him back with open arms, honestly, um, because he's, he's, a, he's a legend at that club. There's no getting around that. So I think that it, and uh, I think he can hit the ground running because that is a club that he knows, a manager that he knows, um, and a, just a great move for Atleti. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you think about their attacking depth now. I think Atleti have to be the favorites to win the title again. They have Suarez and Griezmann, Jao Felix, obviously Yannick Carrasco. Um, they signed Rodrigo de Paul, which I think is a fantastic signing considering it was only 30 million euros. And he was uh, really, really good at the Copa America, obviously had um, just an unbelievable through ball for Di Maria's uh, winning goal in the final. So yeah, great from Atletico Madrid. Let's move on to their outgoing, which was Saul on uh, a loan with option to buy to Chelsea. Um, from an Atletico perspective, I, I don't quite understand it, but I guess they have DePaul who kind of now who can now serve kind of the same role. Um, from Chelsea's perspective, it's just even more midfield depth for them. I'm kind of surprised, you know, obviously they didn't get Kunde. I'm kind of surprised they didn't go for a center back on deadline day, even just on loan or something. But um, more midfield depth for them. Um, you know, Conte won't be relied on quite so much, you'd think, just because they want to protect his fitness. He's been kind of dealing with some niggling injuries recently. So I think it's a good move for everyone involved. I'll, I'll be interested to see if they do take that option to buy. I don't think it's an obligation. Um, so we'll see how well he plays in the Premier League, how he adjusts from Spain, because obviously that's a, it's quite different, especially in kind of the midfield battle. We'll see if he's combative enough to deal with it. Um, but if he is, then he could be a, a very good player for Chelsea. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It'll be interesting to see if they pick up that option. Um, but yeah, I think as far as Chelsea, it's it's really just adding to their depth and making them even more title contenders because that is where um, winning the Premier League is is the hardest part, is being deep. You, you can't just have the best starting 11 and win the Premier League. It doesn't work that way. And that's why City have you know won three of the last four years is because yeah. – They've, they've had such a deep squad and been able to compete in four different competitions without a problem and putting out very uh, high quality teams in, in all those competitions while saving their absolute best players for the Premier League games that they need to win. And I think that with Saul coming in, that just adds to Chelsea's ability to do that. Um, so I think it's, you know, just makes them all the more title challengers, um, which, you know, they were before he came in. 
Okay, so we'll just go through two more Premier League incomings real quick before we move on to talk about some American players who have been moving because I know you want to talk about that. So firstly, we'll talk about Emerson Royale as we were on the topic of Barcelona. And another example of them just being in absolute shambles is them signing Emerson Royale from Betis a month ago. Um, you know, Laporta saying, oh, his release clause is 300 million euros. We hope he's here. He's our new Dani Alves, et cetera, et cetera. And then a month later, they turn around, they turn around and sell him to, to Tottenham for or 30 million euros. I think uh, Tottenham, it's a great signing. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Um, Darty's not been great. Javi Tanganga obviously is a really good prospect and he's been playing really well, but um, I think they needed some cover if, you know, he might be the cover for Royale, but I think it's a very good signing for Spurs. Um, and then uh, just quickly, Odison Edward signing from Celtic to Crystal Palace. Uh, I think it's another good signing for them. Their kind of rebuild this summer has been really impressive. I didn't think that they would be able to deal with it as well as they had. Obviously, they had like 10 players out of contract this summer. But with Olise and Guayhi and Edward now, I think they've done a really impressive job. With that being said, Justin, you want to talk about Matthew Hoppy and Carter Vickers and uh, whoever else? Yeah, just – I mean, there have been a, a ton of Americans on the move, obviously, um, this summer. But, but deadline day, specifically, we saw Matthew Hoppe, the 20-year-old uh, striker, move from Schalke to Mallorca um, for $3.3 million, um, which honestly is a steal, in my opinion, for Mallorca. Um, obviously, when you're rating you know, relegated clubs, it, it happens like that. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a steal for Mallorca, and it's, it's a good move for Schalke. I mean, it's a good move for Hoppe, excuse me, um, to – you know, stay in a top five league and, uh, and also I'm sure living in Mallorca is going to be a lot more fun than living in uh, Schalke. Um, and then, as you mentioned, Carter Vickers, um, who moved uh, on loan as well as um, uh, Chris Richards, who moved back to Hoffenheim on loan from Bayern Munich. Um, uh, what's fun about the Chris Richard one to me is of course, he's still 21 as well, just a young kid, but, um, he needs that game time, obviously, that he's not going to get at Bayern. When, when he comes into training, all of his teammates are calling him Captain America, which uh, we all know as Americans is what we call Christian Pulisic. Um, but it's, it's a name that has become, you know, just, just fills up all Americans around the world uh, that, are, that are moving around because I've seen um, Reyna be called that at Dortmund. I've seen McKinney be called that at Juve. Um, uh, Cristiano used to call him America boy or something like that. Um, and, uh, and Adams as well at, at Leipzig has um, been called that. So very exciting uh, summer for, for United States men's national team fans with a lot of moves. Um, we talked about Sargent before being the biggest one to the premier league. Um, and, and yeah, and, and we got a couple more on deadline day as well. Yeah. Don't forget, uh, Busio and Tessman both going to Venezia and Serie A. That'll be really interesting. Uh, that club being most well known for just how beautiful their home and away kit are this season. Spoiler, if you haven't seen it, their third shirt is horrible, which is kind of crazy considering how nice the home and away are. Just as a kit enthusiast thought I would butt in. But with that being said, I think that's all we've got for today. Uh, please go follow us on Twitter at U90Football. Um, we'll be back um, to recap some World Cup qualifiers uh, next week. Um, and yeah, look forward to that. Um, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.